Hoş geldiniz. Bienvenidos. Willkommen. Welcome to the Joincore podcast. How are you? Are you all very well? I hope that March has been going well for you. This podcast is sponsored by Getting Things Wrong. I thoroughly recommend getting into situations where you say something and someone says, oh no, actually, you're wrong about that. And enjoying practicing the humility of being wrong, because probably you're wrong about some things. I know that I'm wrong about lots of things, but I attach to facts what I do know, or what I do think I do know. And it's important to practice, it's important to me to practice letting go of that attachment in order to have better relationships, improve my knowledge, be a better human being in this world, which is also very fucked up. Thank you to Being Wrong for sponsoring this podcast and making this possible. This is going to be a short podcast. It's going to be a podcast in honour of International Women's Day, which was yesterday. Happy International Women's Day to everybody. It's a great chance to celebrate women, especially ones that are close to you, but also to engage in politics about gender and about women that are all so much maligned for so many years and still an ongoing misogyny haunts us in almost all of our societies and communities. It's very difficult to extricate your mind from the sexism that persists in dominant culture and dominant politics. So we can all use this as an excuse to step out of that and be championing, celebrating women. Some parts of the world will have seen very significant demonstrations resisting the patriarchy. Other places will have seen big carnivals celebrating women because everyone knows women are awesome. And I'd like to read not something of mine, but something of a woman who has, who is my favorite, well, maybe my favorite writer. I don't have so many favorites when it comes to writing, I guess. Just lots of people what I like. But um, I'd like to read a little thing from Ursula Le Guin, who I thoroughly recommend checking out or any of her fiction, but also her non-fiction. And that's what I'm going to read from today. Well, non-fiction, you will see, you'll see what it is anyway. And like I was saying about how we can use International Women's Day to be like, to be stretching our awareness to make sure we are celebrating women and fighting misogyny. I want to just read a tiny little paragraph from, from another piece by Ursula, excuse me, Ursula Le Guin about women in writing. This is um, from a panel called Women Women in the Arts um, from 
1986 and she was asked to make a 10 minute statement about the prospects for women in her particular field. Ursula Le Guin is a science fiction writer in, in the main part. Um, I just want to read a short paragraph to try and summarize my own experience. The more truly your work comes from your own being, body and soul, rather than fitting itself into male conventions and expectations of what to write about and how to write it, the less it will suit most editors, reviewers, grant givers and prize committees. But among all those, there are women and men to whom the real thing, the art, comes first and you have to trust them and you have to trust yourself and you have to trust your readers. So let us be those readers who can be trusted by writers who are maybe not given their fair due by the gatekeepers of the writing world. Because in her words, in her experience, it is simply more difficult to be a woman, as a, to be a woman writer. So the piece I want to read by her is called The Princess, it's from 1982, and it's a keynote address to open a workshop conference of the Portland branch of the National Abortion Rights Action League. And the reason I wanted to read this is because I have not had doubts about being pro-abortion. I think abortion is an important bodily right that should be allowed to uh, women. Women should have that right. I think that's been quite clear in my mind. But upon reading this piece by Ursula Le Guin, it, 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 I, I thought more deeply than I had before about this issue. So I'd like to kind of extend that to anyone listening to this podcast. I'm very excited in, in the future to do a podcast about menstruation and the reason I want to do that is because I think for those of us in this world who don't menstruate, even if we support the rights of those who do, often there's a lack of information or I mean there's a lack of experience to begin with so it's, it's, it's a valuable thing I think to try and deliver to ourselves more information, more understanding in order to be better allies, to be better proponents of the rights we would like to see everybody granted. Ain't gonna beat about much more. I'm gonna go straight from reading this into today's song. And yesterday I was trying to listen to women singers when I was listening to music, uh, women songwriters. And it occurred to me that I actually don't have that many similarly to writing. I think that being a woman in the world of music is probably just a lot more difficult in so many ways. A lot more gatekeepers take you less seriously and it's harder to get yourself out there and become successful and whatever. So there are fewer women who have reached me in the world of music than men. And I'd like to correct that. Um, so any recommendations, please send them the way of the drawing core and we will share them together. 
I have a lot of popular pop singers who are women who I'm into these days but I was looking for women who were not part of that big music industry and one of my favorite singers is Grace Petrie and I'm going to share a song of hers called Northbound after this reading so enjoy Grace Petrie enjoy the rest of your week take care of yourselves be compassionate to yourselves and compassionate to other people this is The Princess by Ursula Le Guin. You are going to be working hard today on very serious and urgent work, matters literally of life and death, so I thought it might be a good idea to fool around a little first. I'm going to tell you a fairy tale. Once upon a time, long long ago in the dark ages, there was a princess. She was wealthy, well fed, well educated and well beloved. She went to a college for training female royalty, and there, at the associated college for training male royalty, she met a prince. He too was wealthy, well-fed, well-educated, and well-beloved, and they fell in love with each other and had a really royal time. Although the princess was on the honours list and the prince was a graduate student, they were remarkably ignorant about some things. The princess's parents, though modest and even inhibited, had been responsible and informative. She knew all about how babies are made, she had read books about it, but it had not occurred to her parents or the people who wrote the books that she might need to know how to keep from making babies. This was long ago, remember, in the dark ages, before sex was obligatory, before the pill. All she knew that there was something called a rubber and boys always sniggered when the Trojan War was mentioned in high school. The prince, of course, knew everything. He'd been around, he'd had sex since he was 15, he said. He knew you had to wear a condom the first time each night, but the second or third time each night, you didn't. It was safe, he knew that. Perhaps you can imagine what comes next in this story. Like all fairy tales, it follows a familiar path. There is a certain inevitable quality to the events. We have to get married the princess said to the prince. I'm going home to my mother, the prince said to the princess, and he did. He went home to his family in Brooklyn Heights and hid in the throne room. The princess went to her family palace on Riverside Drive and cried a lot. She cried at the Hudson River full of tears. But though she had never been punished for anything in her life, she could not bring herself to tell her parents why she was crying. She made up a pretext to go to her mother's gynaecologist and get a pregnancy test. They used rabbits. If the test was positive, the rabbit died. Remember, this is the Dark Ages. The rabbit died. The princess didn't tell her parents, but went and dug the prince out and said, we really have to get married. You're not a member of my religion, and anyhow, it's your baby, said the prince, and went back to Brooklyn Heights. And she went back home and cried so hard that her parents finally saw what had to be the matter. And they said, okay, it's okay, honey, and if he won't marry you, you don't have to have the baby. Now you may recall that in the Dark Ages, abortion was not legal, it was a crime and not a minor one. 
The princess's parents were not criminal types, they were the kind of people who obey the speed limit and pay taxes and parking ticket fines and return borrowed books. I mean they were honest. They were neither square nor unsophisticated, they were not religious, but they were intensely moral people with a love of kindness and decency and a strong respect for the law. And yet now, without hesitation, they resolved to break the law, to conspire to commit a felony. And they did so in the reasoned and deeply felt conviction that it was right, and indeed it was their responsibility to do so. The princess herself questioned the decision, not on legal grounds of course, but ethically. She cried some more and said, I'm being cowardly, I'm being dishonest, I'm evading the consequence of my own action. Her father said, that's right, you are. That cowardice, dishonesty, evasion is a lesser sin than the crass irresponsibility of sacrificing your training, your talent and the children you will want to have in order to have one nobody wants to have. He was a Victorian, you see, and a bit of a Puritan. He hated waste and wastefulness. So the princess and her parents tried to find out how to get an abortion and they got a little panicky because they didn't know anybody who knew. The gynaecologist got huffy when asked for a reference. I don't handle ABs, he said. After all, his license to a lucrative practice was at stake. He could have gone to jail. You can't blame him. It was an old family friend, a child psychologist, who finally found the right contact, the criminal connection. She made an appointment for an examination. They were really slick, that outfit. Doctor so-and-so, nice office on the Lower East Side, polite smiling receptionist, Esquire and National Geographic on the waiting room tables. Their reputation was the highest class abortionists in New York City, and it was probably deserved. They charged more for an abortion than most working families made in a year. This was no dirty backroom business. It was clean. It was class. They never said the word abortion, and not even that cute euphemism AB. The doctor offered to restore the hymen. It's easy, he said, no extra charge. The princess did not wish to be rebuilt like a Buick and said no, get on with it. And they did, did a fine job I'm sure. As the princess left that office she passed a girl coming in, a college girl with red eyes and fear in her face, and she wanted to stop and say, it's okay, it's not so bad, don't be afraid but she was afraid to and she went back uptown in a taxi with her mother both of them crying partly out of grief partly out of relief the endless sorrow the princess went back to college to finish her degree from time to time she would see the prince lurking and scuttling around behind the ivy on the buildings i'm sure he has lived happily ever after as for the princess she got her BAs a few months after she got her AB and then she went on to graduate school and then got married and was a writer and got pregnant by choice four times. One pregnancy ended in spontaneous abortion, miscarriage, in the third month. Three pregnancies ended in live, normal birth. She had three desired and beloved children, none of whom would have been born if her first pregnancy had gone to term. If any birth is better than no birth, and more births are better than fewer births, as the right to life people insist, then they should approve of my abortion, which resulted in three babies instead of one. 
a curious but logical method of achieving their goal. But the preservation of life seems to be rather a slogan than a genuine goal of the anti-abortion forces. What they want is control. Control over behaviour, power over women. Women in the anti-choice movement want to share in male power over women and, to, and do so by denying their own womanhood, their own rights and responsibilities. If there is a moral to my tale, it's something like this. In spite of everything the little princess had been taught by the male supremacist elements of her society, by high school scandals about why Sally dropped out of school in March, by novels extolling motherhood as a woman's sole function, by the gynaecologist's furtiveness, by the existence of a law declaring abortion to be a crime, by the sleek extortionism of the abortionist, despite all those messages repeating, abortion is wrong. When the terror was passed, she pondered it all, and she thought, I have done the right thing. What was wrong was not knowing how to prevent getting pregnant. What was wrong was my ignorance. To legislate that ignorance, that's the crime. I'm ashamed, she thought, for letting bigots keep me ignorant, and for acting willfully in my ignorance, and for falling in love with a weak, selfish man. I am deeply ashamed. But I'm not guilty. Where does guilt come in? I did what I had to do so that I could do the work I was put here to do. I will do that work. That's what it's all about. It's about taking responsibility. So I thought at the time, not very clearly. That I can think more clearly about it now and talk about it to you and to others is entirely due to the moral courage and strength of women and men who have been working these 30 years for the rights and dignity and freedom of women, including the right to abortion. They set me free and I am here to thank them and to promise solidarity. Why did I tell you this tale which is only too familiar. Well, I called myself a princess in it, partly for the joke, and partly because my parents were indeed royal, where it counts, in the soul. But also to keep reminding myself, and you, that I was privileged. I had the best abortion in New York City. What was it like in the dark ages when abortion was a crime for the girl whose dad couldn't borrow the cash as my dad could? What was it like for the girl who couldn't even tell her dad because he'd go crazy with shame and rage? Who couldn't tell her mother? Who had to go alone to that filthy room and put herself, body and soul, into the hands of a professional criminal? Because that's what every doctor who did an abortion was, whether he was an extortionist or an idealist. You know what it was like for her. You know, and I know. That's why we're here. We are not going back to the Dark Ages. We are not going to let anybody in this country have that kind of power over any girl or woman. There are great powers outside the government and in it, trying to legislate the return of darkness. We are not great powers, but we are the light. Nobody can put us out. May all of you shine very bright and steady today and always.
shop with a petrol stop Cause I will make my way Whatever The road's so dark The night's so deep But I've got promises to keep And I've got miles upon miles upon miles to go Before I sleep By night and day By motorway Go. 